As Torah observant Jews, do we really need the government to keep us from destroying each other? I'd hope not. But in that case, why does Rabbi Hanina teach us that if we don't daven for a good government, we might swallow each other alive? Rabbi Hanina Sagana Kohani Moira, the Mishnah Prikavas, tells us Rabbi Hanina, who the deputy Kohen Godel taught, have a mispalu b'shloimishal malchus, you should always pray for the well being of the government. Shilamole Moira, because were it not for the fear of the government, Ish Esreu Chaim Beloi, people would swallow each other alive. But we really need to understand what's going on in this Mishnah, because Aleph. Amr Razal, the famous Gemorian Baba Kama, tells us, Man chasida, a person who wants to be a chasid, somebody who lives beyond the requirements of the law. Such a person should dedicate themselves to following the teachings of Pirkei Avos. That means that the, the content of Pirkei Avos is to live in a pious way beyond just the simple requirements of the law. In other words, it teaches us conduct that is not required just simply by basic halacha. But rather, this Pirkei addresses the issues of a person who wants to live a higher life and a higher level of morality. We actually see an indication of this right in the very beginning of this parak, where it says, that if you focus on three things, it will help you to avoid doing an avera, coming even into the space of an avera, into the spectrum of an avera. Now, this is a great example of Midas Hasidus, because according to Halacha, the main thing is, just don't do the avera at all. To which the Mishnah adds a higher grade version of dedication to Torah, which is, Not only should you not do the Avera, but you should actually live with a concern that you don't want to land up in a situation where you might be susceptible to the Avera. And so therefore the Mishnah suggests a practical way that you could ensure that you never come into the realm of Averis. That if you focus on the three things discussed in that Mishnah, you won't even enter the space in the realm of possibility of doing an Avera. So that's what Pirkei is all about. Not telling you how to be a religious Jew, how to tell you, telling you how to be a pious Jew, which is even beyond just the simple black and white of Halacha. If that's the case... Then we have to ask ourselves, this instruction of Rabbi Hanin ben Eskana Kohanim, that we should daven for the well-being of the government, does not sound like it's something addressed to people who are seeking piety. Or people who are looking to live beyond the letter of the law. To the contrary, if you have to address the possibility of people literally swallowing each other alive, it actually sounds like you're dealing with issues that speak to some of the most severe concepts in Jewish law, not the higher grade version of Jewish law, the absolute basics. So how does that fit into Pirkei Alves? Now, let's be a little bit more specific. If Rabbi Hanin wants to warn us that people might live an immoral life without the guidance of government, why does he use such a poetic expression that they'll eat each other alive? Well, the more direct way of saying eating people alive would be hariga, killing people. Like I'm afraid that in this environment people are not God-fearing and they're going to kill me because of my wife. Famous story where he hides Sarah. If you don't want to say that it's actually literally a warning against killing people, there are other ways that you can destroy a person, like for example, God forbid, stealing from them. 
אם הכוונה כאן, גם למעשה שויד והזק מומן וכיוצא בזה. כי זה יכול להיות שרבי חננה אומר, without the guidance and the rules of a government, people would steal each other blind. ומה הטעם נוקטר כאן בכדיר שלא שן ועניין, חיים בלא אוי. Why then does Rabbi Hanina Skano Kohanim introduce something over here which actually does not seem to fit so openly and clearly into any of the rubrics of what would be transgressions of the Torah and uses instead this poetic expression, eating people alive, swallowing people alive. Well, why does he say it that way? And the third question we're going to say is, Whatever goes on in the world is completely reliant on how the Jewish people behave. Like the Pasuk in Mishle says, That David should literally put the cosmos inside every one of us in our hearts. Which implies, That the suggestion makes that if we don't have a proper uh, leadership framework or governmental framework, people would swallow each other's alive. He's not only talking that that could happen to the rest of the world, that they need strong government. It sounds like he's very much saying it, it's relevant for us as well. We as the Jewish people need that strong government. And it actually, if you think about it, because we influence what's going to happen in the rest of the world. So if we follow Rabbi Hanina's suggestion and we have strong government, then that will influence the other societies in the world that they won't devour each other. So it's really interesting that, you know, there's this expectation on us that we need these strong governments in order for us to behave in the way that we should. That's really strange. How could Rabbi Hanina make a suggestion about the Jewish people as a whole? That if we did not have the fear of a strong, strong government over us, we would devour other people. Not just ordinary people, sort of, faceless people of the broader society. And Rabbi Hanina says we'd devour our peers, our colleagues, the people we sit at the Kiddush with. How could he even suggest that this is an issue when we have so many clear halachas about how we're supposed to treat people and certainly how we're not allowed to mistreat people. Especially when you consider, as we have already mentioned, who's learning Perkyavis? Somebody who's trying to become a chosid. Does the person who's at that stage of their Jewish growth, that they now want to become a chosid, they need to be warned, you need a daven for a good, health, wholesome government, so that you don't devour your friend from shul, from business, from your social circle? Doesn't seem to make any sense. Before we start to explain this, let's look at something else that is recorded in the same Mishnah, which is Rabbi Hanin ben Tradio Noimer. If you have two people who sit together in whichever environment, and they don't share words of Torah, that is a very negative thing. It's considered a gathering of scoffers. But if two people sit together and they share words of Torah, they introduce the Shechina into their space. Now, one thing we know about Mishnah, the Rebbe has spoken about this extensively, the way the Mishnahs are divided up is very specific and very precise. Sometimes it actually has an impact on how we are to understand practical halacha. Why practical halacha? Let's say that a person, because we know that if a person proposes marriage to a woman, based on a condition. The condition has to be fulfilled in order for the marriage to work. So a person proposes marriage to a woman on condition that he knows that he's fluent in Mishnah. 
So how much Mishnah do you have to know to be considered fluent? So the suggestion is three Mishnahs. If he's fluent in three Mishnahs, then it's, uh, it's enough to now consecrate this marriage. In fact, there's even a suggestion that one of the reasons the Alter Rebbe included Pirkei in the Siddur, instead of just saying, go get a mission off the shelf in order to learn it, it's that we would know how the Mishnahis are supposed to be divided up. So this is a practical thing, because if we, you know, if we don't know how to split up the Mishnahis, then we don't necessarily know how to determine whether the person is fluent in Mishnah and whether or not he's actually married to this woman. So the point is that the division of the Mishnahis is very precise, in which case this Mishnah doesn't seem to add up. What is the link between the one statement in the Mishnah that if you have two people sitting together, either it's going to be very positive or God forbid the opposite? How does that link to the concept of davening for the well-being of the government to prevent people from devouring each other? To the extent that they're both now incorporated in a single Mishnah. There doesn't appear to be any link between them, and the division of Mishnais is very specific, so they were not put into two separate Mishnais. That implies that there is a link between them. What on earth is the link? The truth is, if you think about it logically, Rabbi Hanani ben Tradion's statement about two people learning Torah is much more relevant to the next Mishnah, which is Rabbi Shimon addresses the possibility of three people sitting at a meal without sharing words of Torah. Oh, that's the same theme, surely, as two people who are sitting together and either are or are not learning Torah. Surely, that's where that information belongs. Because what is that next Mishnah all about? The value of people who learn Torah together in a group. Or the loss or the lack of people who are in a group and they don't learn Torah. So that's where it belongs. How do you get from Rabbi Hanineskanakoyhanim speaking about the government to Rabbi Hanineskanakoyhanim speaking about the government speaking about the value of learning Torah together? It belongs in a different Mishnah. So, the answer actually lies in something we have already noted right from the beginning, and that is that Pirkei Ovis is not black and white law. It's the chassidus, the piety that a person is looking for in their Judaism. So, because that is the thrust and purpose of Pirkei Ovis, for us to be able to access the teachings of chassidus. So that implies that the lessons of Pirkei Ovis are primarily aimed at people who are quite whole in their Judaism. They're ready where they need to be in terms of both their Torah learning and their observance. And all that's lacking at this stage of their development is that Hasidus, they're going beyond the letter of the law. Therefore, they've now turned to Prikavas to fill that in and to be able to go, so to speak, to the next level. If that is the context, then it's quite obvious. Well, if we talk about that kind of a person who is so well-rounded in the Yiddishkeit, we do not have to wag a finger at this person and say, don't steal from your friend. And we certainly don't have to tell this person, please don't harm another Jewish person. Which is actually why Rabbi Hanin Naskana Kohanim did not use those direct expressions. People would kill each other or people would steal from each other because Rabbi Hanin knows we're not talking to a crowd who has any remote possibility of either stealing or God forbid killing. So what are they susceptible to? We're talking about people who are very advanced in their spiritual development and their Jewish growth, but there's still a possibility 
that they could swallow each other up. What does that mean? Ain bechavanos yishleach yod chas v'shalom bechayev overuchusha yishol zulasei. We're not describing somebody who might entertain the possibility of God forbid attacking a person or touching somebody else's assets. Hurak chaim beloi. Ritzayna hurak chaim beloi. All this person may want in his wayward perspective, so-called wayward, is he might want to swallow up the other person. Which means, what that means is that here is an individual who wants the other person's entire existence and entire life, who should disappear from being his life and his independence. And that individual should be swallowed up and become, so to speak, my conquest, my success story, part of my life. In fact, sometimes that's exactly the problem that he has because he's so advanced. Here's a person who looks in the mirror and says, I'm actually quite, quite a progressed human being. I'm an evolved human being. I'm somebody who has a tremendous grasp of Torah learning. And I'm extremely careful about performing mitzvahs. Now let's compare that to the other guy who's way off the mark. Especially when I consider, look, I'm this tremendous Torah scholar, and that person is a really simple person. And it's possible that that simple Jew is also not properly dedicated to Torah mitzvahs. So therefore, the person who's processing this in his mind to say, look, I'm as dedicated as I can be at this stage, and I'm growing in my dedication to Hashem. And that guy's lagging way behind, both in knowledge and in observance. It is possible for that to bring the person to an absolute conclusion, which is that that person has to actually submit to me. I'm more advanced. It's in their interest. They will grow as a person if they listen to me, if they come along with me, if they follow me, if they submit to me. In fact, the best thing that could happen to that person is that they could be swallowed up in my world. I'll teach them, I'll guide them, I'll decide for them, but they shouldn't have that independence because they're not qualified. They don't know enough and they don't observe enough. That's what Rabbi Hanina Sagana Kohanim is worried about. He's not worried about crooks. He's not worried about criminals. He's worried about people who are so advanced in their own Judaism and spirituality that even with the best intentions might think that there's a value in, so to speak, running roughshod over somebody else because I know I'm the expert, I'm the frum person, they should follow me. So how do we fix that or how do we address that? In order to ensure that such a, a thinking doesn't occur and doesn't translate into behavior, you can't rationally debate this issue. Because the truth is from pure, objective, rational, from a purely objective, rational perspective, if a person is able to look at things with complete objectivity, we're not talking over here about a person who is an, an, an egoist, a person who's a bad person, a person who is, um, who, who is abusive. We're not talking about that. And of course, if, if that's the kind of person who wants to override somebody else, that's, that's bad, that's toxic. But here we're talking about somebody who's a really good person, who believes, come with me, let me guide you. I'll be your savior, so to speak. So, yes, welcome to Taina Kazoi. So there's a logical, rational basis for this person's argument. I will help you if you just submit to me. 
The fact is that this is a person who's a tremendous Torah scholar and very dedicated to mitzvahs. And the fact is that the other person is a long way away from this kind of developed state. So the truth is, if I look from an objective Torah perspective, it is appropriate for the person who is spiritually lost to attach themselves to and completely submit to and follow the person who's the so-called expert. And not so-called, who is an expert. Especially if the practical reality is that the less engaged Jew really needs the more engaged Jew to teach and guide him. So therefore you could present a whole lot of logical arguments to explain why, yes, but you shouldn't actually behave this way. Fact is, if you're trying to approach somebody who has a solid rational case and you're trying to debate them with what you believe is an equally solid counter case, you're not necessarily going to be able to shift the person's position. Because he has strong, rational basis for the fact that the other guy must completely submit to him. So how do we fix this? The only way we're going to get that person to shift their perspective properly, the only way we're going to get them there is we need that person to be davening for the well-being of the rulers. The whole reason we have leaders, and particularly Malchus, which is a leadership based on a king, is to help us to have the appropriate reverence for the king of all kings. If you have to have this tremendous reverence for a king, you certainly have to have an exponential reverence for the king of those kings. And when a person has that intense reverence, that could impact him. That will help the, the person to realize, you know what? I'm not necessarily so much more special than that person. How, how does this work? We know very well, Chazal tells us that the nature of the kingdoms of humans is to reflect the kingdom of Hashem. Which means, it's not just that there's like some kind of a mirror. There's a, a, a kingdom on earth and there's a kingdom in heaven and they kind of represent each other. It's much more profound than that. The reason that there's a concept of kingdom in the human sphere is a result of the evolution of spiritual energy from a divine kingdom that eventually translated into a human kingdom. So if there's a king, any king, not only a Jewish king, if there's a king here on earth, the power that that king has, the authority, the position that that king has, is a result of the Tsar, the angelic representative of that nation that is the so-called spiritual king of that nation. And that Tsar is not where it starts. That Tsar, that angel, that spiritual being, draws its source from a higher spiritual place. So it goes upward and upward. As the Pasuk says, that's level beyond level beyond level. Until eventually get to the ultimate level, which is why are there leaders? Why is there hierarchy? Why are there kings? Because there's an ultimate king. And because at the top of the hierarchy sits infinite God. 
So therefore, the way you look at a king from a Jewish perspective is not just simply, oh, wow, this is a very talented person that comes from the right, um, the right pedigree, and therefore they sit on the throne. move on. So therefore, when you have shalom, harmony, peace, in the malchus, in the ruling party, in the kingdom, which means that means that the human kingdom runs and controls the nation as it should. Why would that happen? How do you get somebody of the incredible caliber of David HaMelech, for example, to be a king? How does that happen? Well, the reason that you have that, and the truth is, even outside of the Jewish world, if you have a benevolent monarchy that behaves in the way that it should, it's ethical, it's moral, it cares about the people, the only reason for that is the only way that you can have a sound kingdom of humans is if reflected in their leadership and in that kingdom is Hashem's kingdom. And it's got to be a compelling sense of godliness. So the minute there's a sense of selfishness, the minute there's a sense of independence, you know, or you know, I'm a success story, then they, you, that king pushes Hashem out of the picture. It's no longer shloim malchus. It's not the kind of harmonious, peaceful kingship that we're looking for. So now we're talking about a Jewish person who's reached the stage where their development in their Judaism is to go beyond the simple requirements of Torah. Somebody who's at that level is able to now see things as they are in truth. Therefore he looks at the concept of kings, governments, rulers, and he davens that they should have shalom, that they should have that harmonious connection with the source that empowers them. So the person is able to feel, this person who is now at the stage of is able to feel, he's even able to see it. He looks at a kingdom, he looks at rulers, he looks at a government, and he sees godliness, he sees God's authority. Every time this person who's at this developed stage looks at governments and rulers, he sees the Ebesha. That's what he sees. And he's cognizant of what the Ebesha wants and he's reverent of what Hashem wants. That reverence for Hashem naturally deflates his own sense of self. It completely mitigates the possibility that he'll think he's greater than the next person. Because the Ebesha's rule is equal across all beings and therefore makes everybody equal in his eyes. You could be the greatest Talmud Chacham, the greatest Tzaddik. We are infinitely nothing compared to Hashem as a simple, uneducated, disengaged Jew is nothing in front of Hashem. That's what the person is able to see. The only problem is that the person also has a Yetzirah who is incredibly skilled at what he does. Has the most incredible strategies to get us off the straight and narrow path. So therefore to immunize ourselves against the Yetzirah, this person who is this chassid, who is at this tremendous level, it's not good enough just to have personal contemplation. Using his own Abilities of understanding 
Binyan Shloim Hashem Malchus to meditate on the fact of the harmony of what leadership and governments and kings are all about. That the human experience of rule and law and leadership is just a reflection of the ultimate divine kingship. Because if a person is just simply relying on their own contemplation, maybe it gets a bit jaded after time. Maybe it stops having such a compelling effect on the person. Not because the person is bad, but because there's an active Yetzirah trying to derail the process. It's possible that over time, the person will be a little bit less reverent of Hashem and a little bit less conscious and uh, maybe at some point lose that consciousness altogether. That's why you'll see Rabbi Hanina Sagano Kohanim doesn't say contemplate the well-being of the, of the government, but rather he says, have a mispalil b'shloim ha'shom alchus, daven for the well-being of the government. person shouldn't just simply depend on his own capacity, his own abilities. The person has to daven. That means to, to ask the Eibishter, to beg the Eibishter, to do me a favor that I don't necessarily deserve, to assist to me. Like the, the, the Gemara tells us, if we didn't have Hashem's assistance, we would never overcome our Yetzirah. So we daven, help me keep this focus. That I could always see, perceive, and experience that shalom malchus, that I could understand every time I experience government, that it's a reminder and a reflection of the fact that David is the ultimate authority. Then I won't feel that I'm superior to the next person and, and that they have to be bottled to me. Once we understand that that's what Rabbi Hanina Sagana Kohanim is telling us, now, we can understand the rest of the Mishnah. So first, we've answered how this is something which is relevant to Mili uh, to, to We've explained why the language that he uses is Chaim Belo'oi. We've explained how it's relevant to a person who's at such an advanced stage of their development. Now, we just have to explain why in this conversation, we're talking about the Mishnah of whether you do or don't speak about Hashem or learn Torah when you're with another person. Now we can understand why the next thing he addresses is if you have two people who are together and they don't share words of Torah. Because what's the absolute, what's the real proof? That a person who has already achieved the level that is at the which means that he's learned Torah well and is very dedicated to mitzvahs. So how do we know for sure that this person is now going to be able to completely remove themselves from feeling superior to the next person who's not nearly as wise, educated, or observant as they are? So the symbol of a person who is not riding on their high horse is the fact that the way they learn Torah is always with somebody else. Let's explain that. The whole purpose, the whole concept of somebody who learns Torah, which is, he's, the person who's studying Torah is pretty much the subject of Pirkei Avos. So the Torah scholar is determined by what? The fact that he is so invested in Torah learning. He's so invested in Torah learning that everything else is really just accessories. 
that a wise person shouldn't take pride in his wisdom, or the powerful person in his strength, or the wealthy person in his assets. Because we know that all of those things change. Wisdom can be lost, as can money, as can strength. So the passage continues, so what should a person take pride in? The person who uses their mind to understand God. In other words, if a person invests in Torah study, that is eternal. It is the source of our life and the length of our days. Or like the Gemara says at the end of Kiddushin, I would rather abandon every other craft. And I'll only teach my, my child Torah. It's something that will accompany and give him wisdom when he's young and protect him when he's old, etc. So now, when we're talking about somebody who's truly invested in Torah learning, to the extent that Torah learning becomes their whole reality, move on. So how then can you determine if this person is either self-interested or bottle and submissive to Hashem? It will play out in learning Torah because that is their persona. So if they learn Torah in a self-interested way, we know that they haven't yet grown and if they learn Torah in a divine interested way then we know they have that's what Rabbi Hanin tells us if you have two people who learn together together as long as a person thinks that it's okay it's sufficient for him to learn Torah on his own you know there's a person sees himself I'm the wise one I am the big expert in Torah I'm somebody who spends time learning Torah. I innovate in Torah. Well, that person obviously is not learning with this methodology of involving somebody else. implies that the two people sit with absolute equality between them. Right? They're sitting in the same kind of strata. So the person who's learning Torah on his own is pretty much saying, I'm the big expert, I'm the big Rosh Hashiva. That person belongs in the benches. And remember, there was the old system in the Talmudic age that you sat, you know, depending on, on uh, which row you were in, would depend on how good a student you were. So maybe this guy belongs in the back row. But rather, when a person has true bittel to the Mishnah, then when that person sits down to learn Torah with somebody else, it's a level playing field. Without any sense that one of the study partners is in some way superior to the other. When a person is able to do that, then the Shechina is with that person. Which fits directly into our conversation about leadership and kings because Shechina is the revelation of Hashem's authority and kingship in the world. So we know that when a Jewish person is able to reach this point of complete submission to Hashem, I'm not in it for me. I'm here to serve the Ebishter. Which is this davening, please the Ebishter, help me to be able to see things in the way that I should, that reflect in the government that it's just godliness. Which will then translate into the fact that I sit with absolute equality with the next person and learn with him. That reveals godliness. That allows Debeshter's rule to be manifest. In the so-called workings of the governmental structures, that I can see that it's Debeshter's world, Debeshter is in charge. 
Not only via the fact that there's an authority system which tells me that Hashem is in charge and reminds me how to behave. And then a person is able to get to the ultimate state of complete reverence of Debesha, where you're actually thinking about Hashem's greatness, not just about the fact that I have to conform to society's expectations. So the last thing that we're going to understand based on this is the Pasuk that is quoted over here to speak about the value of two people who learn together. Where the Pasuk says, Oz Nidbaru Yirei Hashem. So then there'll be this conversation between people who fear Hashem. Ishel Re'ehu, one will speak to the other. V'yakshav Hashem v'yishma, the Ebishter will listen and hear what they have to say. V'yakshav Hashem v'yishma, the Ebishter and he'll record it in some kind of a chronicle. Yirei Hashem v'lechoish v'yishmoi. And they'll be recorded as people who fear God and consider the value of His name. So what's interesting about this Pasuk is it's a description of two people who are sitting and learning Torah together. So Why are they described as people who fear God? Why is that a relevant title when you're describing people based on their learning? I should have said that these are the scholars. So the answer is The fact that they are learning together. That's which will bring the Shechina into their space. What allows their learning to bring Shechina into the space? It's because the way that they're talking to each other is based on Yiras Hashem rather than based on self-interest. Their reverence of Hashem which is something they established because they're davening to help me have this harmonious perspective that Everything about uh, governments and rules just helps me to appreciate that Abish is really in charge. So they come to have this fear of Abish that is tangible, it's real. You can actually feel it's palpable. Why are they learning to, together as equals? Because they have this absolute fear of Debishter or reverence of Debishter. And that's Hippach Ishes Reichaim Beloi. That's the exact opposite of what Rabbi Hanin Naskano Kohani wanted to avoid, which is where the one person thinks they're superior and therefore so called swallows up the other person. And therefore, these people with this attitude, learning Torah, reach a point where they give, so to speak, value and acknowledgement to Debishter's name. Which includes the fact that they acknowledge that the whole Torah is merely just versions of Hashem's name. Torah is not wisdom. Torah is not life skills. Torah is godliness. And that's what they're cognizant of. And therefore, they have this absolute humility in their interaction between each other. And they bring the Shekhinah into their space.